recording at your end? Perfect. It looks like it's recording at my end as well, so we'll get ourselves started. Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy-rated TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Richie Von Sexington. How's things, Richie? All good, my friend. Uh, the virus lockdown is slowly being removed, which means that in this country, every MP goes back to work and then they get COVID from an MP who has gone back to work. So I just love how this is running. we're just about back to normal-ish over here. Like, there's obviously still social distancing rules out and about, but I'm back to football training next week. I'm back to work for the last month now, just about. So edging closer to normality. We've not really had any new cases for a few weeks across the country, so it's been pretty good. Well, I'm not quite sure what they're doing over here. It's about as convoluted as a Vince Russo storyline, so... (laughs) I've, um... I watched all the TV I can watch for one month, so I've had to get back to work. I did the, the last dance twice over. Um, I've watched the first three episodes that they've released for The Last Ride, The Undertaker version of that too. And episode one and two I really loved, and episode three really annoyed me. So I'm glad there's a break now. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that yet. I'm, uh, I think it's weird, The Undertaker kind of talking outside of character. I don't, I, I'm kind of looking forward to it, but I think I want to binge it when they're all out. Yeah, I just, I watched episode, like, I've, big Undertaker fan is my favorite wrestler ever and I was you know always love seeing him come back but by the end of episode three I'm just sat on the couch I fucking retire already get it over with <laughs> yeah yeah it's he can do it but he shouldn't be uh and I think he's going against things he said in the past uh, I think he just wants that from what I can take away from things I've read about it is I think he just wants his last match to be really good but the yeah, problem is so- He's getting further and further away from being able to do that. But then, you wait, wait till you watch this, but then basically what happens whenever he has a good match, he goes, oh, I can still go. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's kind of a bit Ric Flair without the rest of the Ric Flair-isms. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought a wrestler not wanting to retire the first time around, hey? Uh, for, for what anyone may say about Austin, the fact that he uh, retired... And seems to be staying. I think I've lost you there, mate. You're still there. At this point in time, it's certainly something that uh, I can give him credit for. Hello. I can't hear you at all. Oh, you're back. Yeah, uh, I, I had these weird beepy boopies. Let's leave it in. Stop the edit. There's some beepy boopies. Absolutely. Nice. Austin didn't retire. Uh, Austin retired and stayed retired and nobody's managed to chuck enough money at him to get him to unretire. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Absolutely. Anyway, we're not here to talk about modern wrestling. We always get on this, this tangent. We're here to talk about 1993 and continue on down the early episodes of Raw and the um, Saturday night WCW shows that came the, the two days beforehand. This time we're on June 23, Saturday night, and June 25, Raw, the third ever episode of Raw, and what I consider to be really the first excellent Raw moment or match, um, episode three, which we'll talk about. But before we get there, which episode, which um, show, sorry, did you watch first, Richie? I couldn't wait for the uh, Kurt Hennig uh, Ric Flair match. So I went WWF. I did not, but that's okay. We're going to flick over to Raw and we'll start there, I guess. And welcome to WWF Monday Night. I'm Sean Mooney, and it is certainly Raw here in New York City. We are anxiously awaiting the arrival of Repo Man. And after what took place last week, Repo Man, you're a little bit late here. You mean I'm a little bit late? Nobody knows where I am at any time, and I'm here. Did I miss this moment? I don't know. A lot of people didn't know if you're going to show up tonight to face the Macho Man Randy Savage after what took place last week. This is like repossessing a brand new Cadillac, Randy Savage. Repossess your career just like I did your head. (laughs) I'm here. I'm here. You better be ready for me because I'm ready for you. (laughs) So I talked about. Raw starting out with like or having one of its its first classics, but the, the starting segment was not one of those. Um, sure, Mooney's outside, and the Repo Man shows up as a passenger in a tow truck, so not driving it, um, and of course towing Rob Bartlett's car, wearing Macho Man's hat. So this insanity, uh, what a way to start! 
I'll um allow everybody to hear a little bit of this golden repo man goodness before we carry on. It, it's quality shite. <laughs> uh, we then go into the intro, and of course the commentary team is Vince, Bobby Heenan, and Rob Bartlett. Um, just amazing as always. And the first match, um, as you may have guessed, with him not being on the commentary team, Macho Man Randy Savage is taking on the Repo Man. So this blood feud over a stolen hat is about to meet its <laughs> meet its fiery end already. I think we're about to see the first five star match and feud of this little run. March on Repo. They couldn't have dragged this out till like, you know, um, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania 9. Yeah, WrestleMania 9, the Macho Man versus Repo Man with the Macho Man's hat on a pole. Oh, books itself. And and then you could somehow bring Liz into it to get the hat off the pole, maybe. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're certainly not improving anything here. <laughs> we're not making it any worse. <laughs> also true if you've seen WrestleMania 9. Um, Macho Man jumps on him quick. They brawl along the outside. Um, he hits him with a second rope knee drop when they go back in, which looked pretty vicious. Um, Rob Bartlett had to have been pissing Randy Savage off very, very early if Randy bothered to go back and listen to this because he said, and I quote, is that a flesh-coloured beanie Randy has on? Oh, that's below the belt, Rob. There are things in, in wrestling you don't mention. And Macho Man's bald spot is definitely one of them. That's enough to very, very early earn Rob Bartlett our dick move of the week. The match has had that for as long as I can remember watching wrestling, certainly in the WWF. We do not mention just the little little bald patch he's got. And um, Bobby Heenan says what we're all thinking. Vince, where did you get this guy? <laughs> I, I don't know where he got him from. I thought he was a little bit more dialed back when he started, but uh, on this episode, but he's, he's he still hasn't. I haven't warmed to him yet. No, he has his moments, but they're um, few and far between. That's for sure. We get a chin lock from Repo as we go to a commercial. When we come back, Repo gets a clothesline. Um, Vince and Co are really um, good this week, calling the action so far. I think like I'm, I'm enjoying them treating this seriously, as silly as it is. We get a suplex for a two count. Macho comes back with a clothesline before Repo hits a backbreaker, but Macho fires back with a slam and heads up top for the big elbow drop and the one, two, three. There was only ever going to be one winner in this. Um, overall, though, not a terrible open. All things considered, I didn't mind this. If on paper you say Macho Man versus a broom you'd go, well, it'll be a pretty good match. And it's pretty much what I expected from this. So I think it's more macho than it is uh, repo. But, you know, I've seen worse. We have seen worse. <laughs> don't don't make us do a spin-off of Repo Man's five-star classics. It could be a long show. Yeah, he didn't get any six stars because he didn't wrestle in the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> um, we get an advert for WrestleMania 9, which we talked about earlier before going to our next match. And this should be a barn burner. Brought out by the Doctor of Style, or now the Reverend Slick, it's Kamala, face Kamala, to take on the Brooklyn Brawler. Little early raw garbage. What did you think, Richie? Uh, match wasn't great. The Kamala gimmick is uncomfortable to watch nowadays, and I can't help but think it was a little outdated in 93. Uh, my only warm memory of Kamala is, uh, is it William Regal? And Kamala's in the office, and he goes, Yes! Bloody stars on your belly! Is uh, is pretty much my only memory of Kamala. It it was all right for what it was, but it's one of those I can't see. They, they, I can't see where it's going, and I'm not that interested. Even if they're doing a storyline for me, so it was kind of you know just it was just there. Absolutely, yeah. This was not good. Um, from there, we go to our Royal Rumble review. Uh, with Mean Gene, but we won't go into too much detail on that because we are going to watch the Rumble at some point, we said. Uh, stay tuned for that one, and we'll talk all about the 93 Rumble then. We go to an Ica Pro commercial and then a Slim Jim commercial, the same two we spliced in last week that everybody heard. And then from there, it's on to the classic that I talked about. We're going to have a really decent chunk of time allocated to Ric Flair taking on Mr. Perfect in a Loser Leaves a WWF match. This was, as I said earlier at the start of the show, the first classic on Raw, and I was definitely looking forward to re-watching this. Had you seen this before, Richie? 
No, um, I only know of it from uh, probably other podcast reviews of uh, this time or, you know, copies of Power Slam. So I was actually really looking forward to it. Awesome. I um, obviously was looking forward to watching it again, and it doesn't disappoint this time around. They start off with slaps to each other and feel each other out a little bit. Lots of mat wrestling, as um, Vince McMahon says that they're both too defensive, which is a little weird, but, I mean, their careers are on the line, so it is what it is. They exchange some chops before Earl Hebner falls on his ass, uh, stopping Ric Flair using a chair, which was quite funny going into the first commercial of the match. Uh it, it looked pretty well done, which made me wonder if it was probably an accident. Yeah, it looked that way to me, but either way, it was a good spot. Perfect gets busted open on a um, catapult to the ring post, one of the signature defensive moves of Mr. Perfect at the time. He grabs a backslide for a two-count, a backdrop, a 10-punch in the corner before Ric Flair comes back with a low blow and rolls Perfect up for a two. Perfect hits a suplex for a two. Flair locks on a sleeper and then the figure four. Um, Bobby Heenan's not quite Royal Rumble 1992 levels of crazy, but he's not too far off as he's begging for Flair not to lose this match. Ric Flair goes up top and you can probably guess what happens next. He hits the 450 for the one time. I mean, he gets caught and press slammed off by Mr. Perfect as we go to our next commercial. So we've already gone through two commercials and at no point was I... uh wishing for this to end i thought it really old school and if, if i want to like an almost wcw nwa style match thus far yeah it's really good the tempo is good and they're going to commercials at natural spots as well like one of the things that annoys me these days is there's a suicide dive before every commercial break and it's just so formulaic that you just no, as soon as he sets up a suicide dive, you can head into the kitchen to make a, a coffee, grab a snack, whatever you need to do. I mean, the very fact that the name is Suicide Dive should at least make you be excited to see it because it's you know it's not like the the pillow dive or the big fluffy duvet of doom. It's it's something quite dangerous. But no, you don't even need to watch it anymore. I personally think they should rename it the Commercial Break Dive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they should just uh, they just say, should say they're gonna go for it, but it's quite dangerous, and then go to commercial breaks. So they don't actually have to cause themselves pain just so they can sell someone in America Viagra. <laughs> when we come back, Ric Flair has some taped up brass knucks, which he nails perfect with. Puts his feet on the ropes um, and goes for the pin, but perfect manages to get it out of that one. We get a backdrop and a clothesline, followed by a knee drop by Perfect. Ric Flair goes for another cheating pin with his feet on the ropes, but Perfect escapes again. And then just like that, Perfect locks on the Perfect Plex for the one, two, three, sending Bobby Heenan into an absolute meltdown, including being bleeped on the air as though he's swearing. So I'll um, put a little bit of that in for everybody to listen to right here. Bob the rope, put the break. And yeah, just overall really enjoyed it. Perfect um, was good. Flair was good. Heenan did his part to perfection. What did you think, Richie? Oh, it was great. The fact that this we, we've gone so quickly through this episode is the fact that how good this match is. Because and, and you, as people should go and look this out because I think, you know, it's easy to say that Flair is one of the greatest of all times. But this is almost written off Flair. I mean, I know we, he goes on for many years after this, but this is Flair dropping down the the uh, the card in WWF and leaving. Plus, uh, and Mister Perfect is not that far off on retiring for the first time. I don't know if he, I don't think he's got his back issues now, uh, but the match is really, really, really good. And 
uh, like I say, Bobby Heenan not only does a great job, but I, I, he does say uh, one line which made me chuckle, which is, uh, oh no, some Ric Flair, it's all downhill from there, or something like that. And I was like, I think he'll be fine. <laughs> he'll probably survive. Um, <laughs> excuse me. But yeah, that was um, an absolute classic. Reading I, out the, the moves and the formula of the match was never going to do it justice. I definitely recommend everyone watch this. I also think it's testament to uh, why Ric Flair is looked after by the WWE so much now, is the fact that you have this situation where it's a gentleman's agreement. Uh, everyone keeps their side of the bargain. Flair doesn't go out and stink the ring up, which he could have done. He could have gone out and just, he was leaving. I know they'd like to go out on top, but, you know, Vince didn't book it to be a squash. It was a competitive match that left Flair strong. I can see why there's loyalty between them now. Even Rick managed to sort of like, uh, how do we put it politely, Uh, shit all over his retirement match. Yeah, this was good. This was this was good. I enjoyed it. Um, as I said, well worth a watch. Um, after this, we come back down to earth. We get a WWF Mania ad, and then Vince tells us to stick around for after the commercial break. You're not going to believe what match we have next week. So this was the final hook to keep you coming for the last segment. And Richie, do you want to tell the listeners what that amazing match they kept us all on the hook to find out about was? You know what? I knew you were going to do that, and I've not written it in my notes. <laughs> I know I wasn't impressed. I think I was that impressed. It's, I didn't write it down. It's Doink versus Typhoon. Fucking oh. hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. Like, well, yeah, bringing out the big... Hulk is still under contract, I believe, at this point. <laughs> We're coming back down to Earth next episode, mate. <laughs> Doink versus Typhoon. It's, uh, it's going to be a decline from here, I feel. <laughs> Well, that's the halfway point of the show. Um, This is right about the time we take a trip down memory lane. Peace, God. Peace, God. Now the shit is explained. I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane. It's like that, y'all. It's like that, y'all. It's like that. I was thinking the other day about uh, how that managed to be a wrestling war in the UK in the late 90s between WCW and WWF, but no one cared. Like, wrestling was pretty big, but no one really seemed to care. You know, like Sky didn't do anything to put put themselves up against, like put anything on live. It just, I just thought it was a weird, weird like dichotomy. You still got WCW versus WWF, but it was on a Friday night, after, like four days after, four or five days afterwards. And always, it's looking back now when you look like how much the WWF pushed the Monday Night Wars, that they didn't like renegotiate with Sky to put it on live. It's not really, a, it's just just a, just a thought, less 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 than a than a memory, I guess. But uh, I wondered how it was for you in Australia, or whether you just didn't get one of them. No, that's a good question. Um, I got my first job in probably January 2001, and the first thing I did was get pay TV because there was no wrestling on free-to-air TV over here in Australia. And you're right, it was Raw Friday night, SmackDown Saturday night, which was always odd to me. Um, it, this was really before the internet was an everyday occurrence for everybody, so it was okay. You could hang on and not know the results. Um, I would get online occasionally and every now and again got something spoiled, but for the most part it was fine. But that went on for probably another year before they moved them to being live or at least the same day but at a reasonable hour. So it just it's just absolute madness because nowadays it's sold in America as you know, it's the same... They get so much TV rights because of it being live, you know, because live sport is in, is the only thing that uh, kind of nobody watches a football match three days later, really. You know, yeah, it's, it's something you have to kind of watch live, and that's how they sell it. Yet, yeah, yeah, over here, which is one of their biggest markets, they were like, ah, I just bung it on it. You know, I think we used to get it at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. 
Yeah. Yeah, and make. Yeah, I I have vivid memories of I um moved out of home when I was sixteen, so I had pay TV, paying for it myself. Had my friend come over every Friday night. We watched Raw, um, chilled out, enjoyed it. Ha- would have the pay per views, and this is probably my memory for for this segment this week is would. The people probably listening to this don't even know what I mean. I would order the pay-per-view, which was always in my time, Monday lunchtime, go to work, but before I left for work, set the timer on my VCR to record it for when I came home that night. It's mad. I used to do the same thing if I didn't stop up to watch it. Uh, You're like watching the pay-per-view on a Monday. Yeah, it would be a Monday tea time, and you're fast forwarding through like bits. It's never quite the same. He's like, well, I don't need to watch this. I don't need to watch this. And you just fast forward it through it all. Yeah, the first few years of doing that, I would watch the whole thing start to finish and love it. But as time went on, yeah, <laughs> there was um in the, the mid-2000s, there was a lot more garbage going on that just couldn't be stomached. <laughs> I think my world record for getting through a Raw was probably about 2013. And I managed to watch a three-hour Raw. Obviously, adverts taken out, but I think I managed it in 22 minutes. <laughs> the sad thing is, I don't think I've watched three hours of Raw this year. Um, current day Raw, that is. Yeah, no, I can't. Remember. It moved to BT Sport uh, from Sky, and it was the last reason we really had Sky, so I've not watched any of it. It's uh, It doesn't end. The idea of it just, I just can't be bothered. But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird one, like how they used to do that. Especially because it was like Nitro was on for an hour beforehand, so they were still preempting it. You know, it's it's like they did the exact same thing just on a Friday night. <laughs> well, that was a um, a nice education and history lesson for everyone that maybe a little bit younger than us. So <laughs> I enjoyed that. But should we head further back in time now and check out WCW Saturday Night? Oh yes. Next on WCW Saturday Night, after last week's unfortunate intervention by Barry Windham, U.S. Heavyweight Champion Dustin Rhodes put his title on the line in a rematch with his friend and former teammate, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Z-Man and Johnny Gunn challenge World Champion Big Van Vader and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. And the unpredictable team of Cactus Jack and the Barbarian battle Texas Troublemakers Tex Slasinger and Shanghai Pierce. Next on WCW Saturday night. Saturday night starts out. Um, sorry, Saturday night has the same announced team as always. Jr. and Larry Zbysko. I've got to not forget to mention that. But it starts out with a dream team. My favorite recent day, like new discovery jobber, Bob Cook, teaming up with the future Raven, Scotty Flamingo, to take on Johnny B. Bad and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Oh, what a dream match this is to start. I, I didn't know where to go with this. I was like, well, this is com- completely uh, bizarre. I always like watching like early wrestling for these early incarnations of people. And then we had all these. No, we even had three uh, wild, wild man, Mark Miro, Mark Miro. I mean, what more can you want? And Buff was not yet the stuff. No, no, he wasn't. And, and, and I mean, I don't think Raven had found heroin at this point. Oh, I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> we start with some chain wrestling, and then the faces both hit double um, Japanese arm drags. Scotty Flamingo comes in and hits a snap suplex for a two. Um, Johnny B. Bad hits a big elbow, and then we get a Bob Cook drop toe hold and a big right hand. Uh, Bob Cook gets some good offense in here. He certainly doesn't get treated like a jobber. Um, Flamingo hits a corner clothesline before Bagwell hits some slams on both the heels. A second... Uh, Back row, uh, sorry, a second rope elbow, a backslide for the one, two, three. In what was a um, not your typical squash, a little bit of backwards and forwards, just a short match. It was um, pretty inoffensive, though. I didn't mind it. Yeah, good, good opener. I mean, I think it was uh, certainly better than Macho Repo from the the Raw. Uh, and I, I'm always going to be uh, invested a little bit in it. Like I said, I love watching pre-famous gimmick wrestlers in their uh, failed gimmick phase. Awesome. We then go to um, Tony Schiavone with Barry Windham. He says that Dustin Rhodes won the US title all by himself and he had nothing to do with it. He wants the NWA title from the Great Muda. I'll just clarify that's not the WCW title. They, this is the period where they have both belts. It's quite convoluted. Go and look it up if you want more than that because I 
still to this day don't understand it. Um, we then go to JR with Cowboy Bill Watts. He says that he doesn't have a US belt at the moment. They show the um, final of the tournament without the commentary, which was weird and a little bit crap. And it's a pretty dud promo from the Cowboy before he hits us with his usual let's hook him up. So um, not great segments here. A um, bit of a step down from some of the promos we've been seeing in previous weeks. Yeah, I thought they they were missing a step on these. Certainly didn't seem to have a lot of energy in them. No. From there, we go to Vinny Vegas taking on Chad Bird. Um, Vinny Vegas, of course, Kevin Nash. We get a big clothesline, a slam, and an elbow. And then his patented snake eyes for the one, two, three. This was definitely a typical squash before we go to the next commercial. Um, what do you think about Vinny Vegas? Speaking of the um, before they were really big stars thing we were just talking about. I think Nash is always best at playing Nash. It seems weird when he's playing a character <laughs> like with the uh, affected accent and, and stuff like that. It's it's certainly odd to watch, uh, certainly because he hasn't got all of his moves. So he, he, I don't think he flipped his hair and he didn't do a powerbomb. <laughs> Very harsh. <laughs> uh, Next I, up, I we've got... Kevin Nash is awesome, but he's... I think I think he, he he definitely is economic where required. Definitely the old school mentality of if you don't need to do it, I'm not doing it. I'm enjoying Kevin Nash fighting the good fight on Twitter at the moment, so I won't say a bad word about him this week. No, no, I, I think I think he's great in on Twitter. Johnny Rich is in singles competition next. As you may have guessed, that means he's taking on Chris Benoit, who won't be name mentioned on the network. Uh, we get some chain wrestling and then an enziguri from Benoit, a clothesline, a backbreaker, a snap suplex. A crucifix attempt is reversed into a Samoan drop, and then we get a power slam for a two. Benoit finally finishes it off with a dragon suplex for the three, um, and JR shills his hotline. So I am um, another, another real typical squash, but Benoit in particularly in the 90s, was so vicious and so fluid. You can't help but enjoy watching that. It's, it's a completely different style to a lot of other people. Uh, Johnny Rich was certainly no spring chicken. No, not he's no Bob Cook of the Jobber division. Not quite. <laughs> we then go to a Super Brawl event centre and we talk to Sting and Vader. Uh, they show Vuda... Vuda, they show Muta, sorry, beating Chono for the NWA title in Japan. We see the Rock and Roll Express and the Wrecking Crew uh, are going to take each other on for the Smoky Mountain Tag Team Championships. The uh, belts that were both defended in WCW and WWE, despite not being affiliated with either of them, for your little trivia buffs out there. And we get a Rock and Roll promo. I did not enjoy this promo at all. And my note just said simply, Vince wouldn't have let this air. And that's you know, the Rock and Roll Express, I, actually, I'm going to pose a question to you, Richie, because I was thinking about this the other day, and I, I, not for this podcast in particular, but something I wanted to bring up as a discussion point. But to me, the Rock and Roll Express clearly separate people that are a certain age and people that are that little bit older, because if you love the Rock and Roll Express, you have to have been like, let's just say I'm 35, so let's just say you've got to be 37 or older. And if you're under 37 or you started watching at a certain year like me, they just always came across as a bit shit and old. I can't disagree because I started watching in 90, 97. So, like, these guys were long done by then. They might have been on Raw in 97. I can't remember if they're part of that NWA uh, invasion. Ni- 98, I think they pop up. But, no, I it's, I think it's kind of a nostalgia thing. There's, there's, I know they're good, but I... I don't care. Can you think of any other wrestler that clearly separates opinions based on age like that, though? I can't think of anyone else where it's like, you love him if you were a certain age, but then past that point, you couldn't stand him. I can't think of anyone else like that. But the Rock and Roll Express, you either think they're old, mulleted hicks that, <laughs> that you know, do lame tag team moves, or you think they're one of the greatest tag teams of all time. There's no in-between. I certainly think that... They're in a small minority of of, re- of wrestlers and tag teams because uh, I think I think part of it is maybe because they're still going now. So <laughs> perhaps it's you get to a point where I think it 
they diminish their uh, for me their uh, their attraction because they're still going now doing Canadian destroyers. And I mean, fair enough, if they're getting paid. I'm not. It's not a knock, but it's not like they were. They would. They sort of like were there and then gone. They never went away. I, I think that to me does it a bit. Plus, I don't understand how they they uh, allegedly met so many single ladies in the 80s. Yeah, I just can't imagine anybody being swooned by that pair. It's like, all right, when... when uh, oh, I can never get him the right way around, but the guy with the dodgy eyes, I wasn't dodgy. He, he, he's probably the looker, but, I mean, that's like trying to decide which one's the better-looking turd. <laughs> oh, man, I just... For the longest time when I was growing up, I just thought American women must have no taste in men if their heart throbs. It explains the length of time the mullet existed. <laughs> we then go to the wrecking crew who they're going to face in a squash match against Larry Santo and the Italian Stallion. It's Fury and Rage, the wrecking crew. Uh, they are unload with a clothesline, power slam, short clothesline, side slam. We get a very quick flurry from Santo, but he gets caught in the wrecking ball for the one, two, three. And then Larry Zabisco goes with the Wrecking Crew, who cut another terrible shouty promo. This has not been the episode for good promo work, I can tell you that. No, and they've uh, got a catchphrase that will never catch on. It's something like, you bring the rage, I'll bring the fury. It's like, you've, 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 is that it? It's not, it's not uh, Austin 316 or, uh, you know, many of the, rest in peace, even the, the Undertaker. It's just, it's just garbage. They're garbage, they're not going to last. They're not. Let's not invest too much time in them. Um, speaking of guys that aren't going to last, the next match is a bit of an interesting one. It's called an underdog match, and it's you know veteran jobber Pat Rose taking on a young guy that I don't think will make it in the business named Robbie V. Uh, Robbie V will get nowhere. He's. Uh, I certainly don't think he'll make it into uh, any other sort of like major league at all, and still be wrestling no, this today. Is- this will probably be it for him. He's very young-looking and barefoot here, which is interesting. Aye, he still looks a lot like Jean-Claude Van Damme, though. Aye. He does a kip-up and a duck-under split before hitting a super kick, which looked really cool, a springboard crossbody and a springboard hip toss. The commentary team are very surprised with how much offense he's getting. Rose gets in control briefly, but... Robbie V comes back with karate kicks, a backdrop, a power slam, and finishes him off with a split-legged moonsault for the one, two, three. Um, I actually didn't mind. This is a concept, the underdog match, get a new guy out and have him beat. You know, it's not like Pat Rose is, is a major player or anything, but someone that would be familiar with the audience and have a young guy come out and beat them first time out. I actually really, really enjoyed this. Now, there is a good clash. Of, it was a clash of styles in a good way, but like you say, it was a good way to bring someone out. And, and this is the benefit of having sort of like these undercard guys they're they're still presented as competent wrestlers as opposed to uh maybe nowadays would be bring uh this new lad out and then have him either beat someone of no merit or lose to someone higher up the card uh certainly it was weird looking at rob van damme without his uh tie dye not tied his airbrush tights and he didn't have his undercut either which is all wrong He'll add to the gimmick soon enough. And not spend everything does a room uh, a move doing the RVD, RVD. Yeah, yeah. It gets repetitive eventually, but this was good. Um, Tony Schiavone's now with Rick's, uh, Rick Steiner, sorry, Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas. It's a promo from the last clash, actually. It's not, it's not live, but it is a decent promo, so I'll play a little bit for everybody to listen to and check it out. I don't expect great mic work from Steamboat and Douglas. I was pleasantly surprised with this. Yeah, I mean, it's... They're functional. Uh, at least Shane Douglas hasn't got the uh, laughing aha after every aha sentence, aha part of the promo, which is one that truly irritates me. This is Tony Schiavone coming to you from Milwaukee, and what a battle it was for the Unified World Tag Team Championship. Gentlemen, you're still the champs, but it was quite a war. You know something, Tony Schiavone? The announcers, wrestling editors on magazines, they kept saying that Shane Douglas was the weakest link in this tag team combination. They kept saying that this tag team is not vicious enough. 
when it all started with this. The gold, the world heavyweight championship, tag team, unified. You can't get any higher than this. Yes, a war has just been started. A war, and you know, a war. If you, if this is a war, we'll fly on Brian and Stunning Steve. You drew first blood. My dad always said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You gentlemen decided to start the war and you drew first blood. You can make darn sure and place the bet. We are happy to finish it anytime, any place you gentlemen want. Actually, a, a really ridiculous side story when it came out that Shane Douglas was working in a Target in America years ago. My brother, being the ultimate troll, tried phoning that Target to get in touch with him. That did no luck whatsoever. But the idea that he would make a long-distance phone call from Australia just to see if he could find Shane Douglas working at Target has just always tickled me. Could uh, Shane Douglas please come to the service desk? Could uh, Shane Douglas please come to the service desk? They kayfaved and said that he didn't work there. <laughs> no, that would have oh, been great. <laughs> He's got too much time on his hands, that boy, but it still makes me laugh. <laughs> it's, it's time and money if he's doing long distance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Our next match is Tommy, um, Tom Zenk and the, sorry, the Z-Man he's called, and um, Tommy Gunn taking on Paul Orndorff and Vader. So I have a feeling the um, little run of the baby faces is probably going to come to an end here once Vader steps in the ring. Yeah, this is uh, this is not going to end well for Z-Man. And I believe another tag partner, I seem to think that every time we do this, he comes out with a, with a different tag partner every time he's on. And he still manages to make them all look like him. Yeah, yeah. He he, he saw he must just chuck chuck the clothes at him and go, "There you tights, get your hair cut. Let's go, lad." He does. Uh, the Z Man get an enziguri early for a two, and Tommy Gunn works over the arm. Vader gets him in the corner and absolutely fucks him up with strikes before hitting his big hoe train. Then comes flying in for another, but ends up flying over the top. Tommy Gunn hits a plunger to the outside. No mats on the floor, of course, thanks to the cowboy. We get Paul Orndorff comes in for a German suplex and a vertical suplex. Vader with sort of a half suplex, half falcon arrow combo, which was quite cool. Orndorff with an atomic drop. Vader with a splash and a powerbomb for the one, two, three. This was surprisingly good. I didn't expect anything from this match, but I really enjoyed it. And mostly just because Vader's a beast, but overall I thought this was pretty good. They... Yeah. You, sometimes it, it's like eating a, a filthy burger or drinking non-fancy beer. Sometimes you just need to watch a big host like Vader fuck some shit up. Yeah, I could definitely do with that once a fortnight or so. Yeah, you don't... You, so every, everything else of the great smorgasbord of wrestling is, is all part of it. But sometimes you just need a big hoss going to town. Orndorff, after the match, hits a pile driver um, on the concrete floor to the Z-Man, which I'm sure we'll follow up on in weeks to come. But, yeah, overall, the, the match and Vader was what did it for me. We then go to Sting up close with Tony Schiavone. We look back at his loss to Vader, his winning the Battle Bowl, and then we... Um, Business picks up when we talk about <laughs> spinning the wheel, making the deal, and the White Castle of Fear. So we're still waiting for that pay-per-view before we go into the deep dive on that, but I'm excited that that's going to be coming up. Oh, I can't wait. I just... I've heard so much. It's, it's got to be the present that keeps on giving. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. We then go to Barry Windham taking on Two Cold Scorpio. Wyndham hits a big right to start before Too Cold comes back with a roll-up for a two, a suplex, and then Barry Wyndham catches him with a flapjack. A suplex of his own, a clothesline, and a gut-wrench suplex all get two counts. Too Cold gets a small package for a two. Barry Wyndham with a back suplex for a two. Too Cold comes back with a super back suplex, and then a drop kick and a clothesline, a super kick and a springboard leg drop for several near falls. Barry Wyndham hits a top rope axe handle and the DDT to pick up the victory with the one, two, three. Not a bad match, but I, I kind of like the idea of Too Cold going against someone where it's a bit quicker pace than this, personally. Yeah, it kind of hamstringed uh, Too Cold a little bit. I'll tell you what, though, I did like that that DDT from Barry Wyndham. Shades of the even flow DDT, I thought, but uh, 
Yeah, yeah. I thought I was all right. It, I think they could have thrown someone else out with him. Uh, it's potentially less damaging to Scorpio. I don't know who they've got in the back, but I'm sure they could have given Barry someone else to go over. But let's face it, this is a match to keep him hot for Muta. I agree, I agree. We get a decent promo from Cactus Jack and the Barbarian, who are a bit of an unlikely alliance. And then we go to our next match, which is Shanghai Pierce and Tex Lazinger taking on Cactus Jack and the Barbarian. The crowd, once again, are digging Tex Lazinger, so he's over like Rover. They love Tex Lazinger. Isn't he also the artist formerly known as Midian and Naked Midian? He is. He is um, Dennis Knight and Phineas Godwin. Yep. I, uh, I, 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 another one I don't understand. He, he, he must either be a local boy or uh, they've heard good things about him. Who knows? But him and Cactus brawling is making the crowd go crazy. We get Barbarian comes in and hits a big suplex and the crowd are going no on every shot to text, which is quite cool. They boo when he tags out the ring as well, which is really funny. We get... A Barbarian Power Slam, a Cactus Jack Double Arm DDT, and that's enough for the one, two, three. This was a pretty good brawling match, if I'm being honest, but the crowd made it way better than what it was. Oh, they were pretty... Well, they almost could be described as white hot for, for what could be basically a mid-card match. Indeed. Indeed. It made it good. We then go to our defense of the US title. Dustin Rhodes giving Ricky Steamboat another crack at the belt. He has no belt, though, so he's giving him a crack at a fictional title. I, I don't know what's going on with We're... this belt. It's 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 bizarre. I don't know if if uh, genuinely Rick uh, Rude's keeping it for a reason, or if, you know, it's got lost in the post. Who knows, but it's pretty poor having no belt. We get Chain wrestling and a Dustin arm drag, some mat moves. We hear one guy yell boring, which is a bit harsh early on in the match. They fall to the floor, both of them, and argue. And it starts to get aggressive here. It's a babyface match where they both fire up. Um, Ricky Steamboat slaps him and Dustin slaps back. They go into a slugfest. Dustin hits a drop kick. We get a big chop on a slam from Steamboat, a slam from Dustin. They exchange near falls. JR tells us that we've only got TV time remaining, so we all know that a draw is coming. We get the one-minute countdown. Dustin hits a jawbreaker for a two. The bell goes, and once again, nothing is settled. They brawl to go off the air on an overall good show. But I really do hope that at the pay-per-view or somewhere down the line, these two get a proper one-on-one singles contest for this belt because it's been quite enjoyable so far. Yeah, yeah. It's just that stringing it along thing that we suffered a little bit with uh, some of the pay-per-views from like the early to mid-'80s. Certainly is slowly rearing its head and it's like you, there's only so long you can milk it tell me richie what annoyed you more this match being canned early or vince making you wait for the commercial to tell you about doink versus typhoon probably the commercial i knew where this one was <laughs> I, I pretty i was pretty certain that i knew something shenanigan was gonna occur between steamboat and dustin I, I i didn't expect the time limit draw but uh you know why he would make you wait for a commercial break to do a commercial for Typhoon and Doink is still one of the great mysteries of all time. I could do a podcast on it. I could I, I could do an entire series of like podcasts on uh, on this decision. We could go deep dive into why Vince decided to advertise that in such a prominent spot. <laughs> I think we can I'm get a mini series. Not... We've got the next. <laughs> I, I... We've got the next Chernobyl there. I don't think I'm going to be involved in that one. <laughs> well, there's obviously not there's not enough meat on the bone for this match to really go into some deep detail because it, it just got cut off really quickly. Um, so it's probably about time we went and ranked these shows. What do you think? Yes. So which show do you think showcased the better characters on the night? I am going to go WWF. I I felt a little bit for the first time the WCW show all kind of started to merge a little bit. Don't know if that 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 was maybe just while I was watching it. Whereas I thought there was a good mix on the other show uh, of 
even whether I like it or not, cartoony, serious uh, characters. Uh, plus, I always like the fact that uh, they set up uh, Giant Gonzalez going after The Undertaker, I think, as an advert, saying, will The Undertaker be overpowered this time? And it's like, he always gets overpowered. It's like a staple of his... I think, I think it might have been in the Royal Rumble report. Um, I actually went the other way and went WCW. I not I didn't mind what WWF did, just having a three-match card and giving more time to Flair and Perfect, but I guess it annoyed me that one of those three matches was Kamala versus a Brooklyn Brawler. Like you couldn't have put someone decent on for a squash, and there was no Sean, no Marty, no Brett, no Taker, no Giant Gonzalez, no Hogan, no Yoko. Like There's a lot of characters not on that show to have Kamala versus the Brawler. Rick... And uh, Kurt certainly helped sway my, uh, probably my scoring on that one. Yeah, fair enough. What about crowd heat? This is an interesting one, because obviously Tex Lazinger's the most overman in wrestling right now, but I probably felt that the, the crowd was more into Flair and Perfect than anything else we watched. What oh, I agree. Think? I agree that uh, there was a lot of investment in the Flair-Henning uh, match. So I just think the crowd... I think the crowd were expecting possibly a fudge and some shenanigans, and then Flair lost. It was like, well, it all built up as it should have done. I agree, and I think flowing into storylines, I the fact that they paid off two storylines gave WWF the edge for me as well. Flair and Perfect is the big one, but Macho and Repo Man, it was lame, but at least we got a little two-week storyline, which I, I don't mind those little things on, on TV, to be honest, to keep you coming back week in, week out. Uh, so I went with WWF and storylines. What about no, you? I agree. Uh, I don't think anything really got pushed forward. It felt a bit of a stalling week, really, for WCW, uh, whereas the WWF, like you say, finished off the Macho. And, and, and it also... The macho thing then gets you used to him wrestling and commentating or moving back to wrestling. It was uh, maybe a nice way of doing that. And, I mean, who doesn't want to tune in next week? I know we've got uh, we've got hindsight, but how many people actually thought Flair was going to leave? You know, how many people are tuning in next week for the storyline to see him in the crowd or see him outside or, or what, other, what other things? Yeah, absolutely. Pre-internet, that's that's very real. I remember watching because I didn't keep up with. Uh, I watched the WWF after Survivor Series '97, and every week was I waiting for Brett to appear because I didn't know where he was. I only learnt where he was after reading a review for uh, a WCW game, and he was in it, and I was like, "What the hell?" Yeah, fair enough. Um, it, it was real back then. What about? Production value. Who do you think had the best production? Uh, WWF. They, 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 I've, I said it last time we did it, and it's the same now. WWF looks a product of 1993, and uh, WCW looks like a product of 1983. Agreed. So moving right along, I guess we go to match quality, which is the big one on the night, because we had a lot of wrestling on these two shows. I think Perfect and Flair personally beat anything on either show, and Honestly, like, I enjoyed WCW. I'm not even knocking it, despite the fact that WWF is wiping the floor with it here in the scoring. But I just think Perfect and Flair was so good that it could win this hands Oh, down. definitely. It was a pay-per-view caliber match. Both guys put a lot into it. It could have been booked so poorly, and probably would have been, uh, if it wasn't Flair. Certainly, the respect shown to him helps, and Flair goes out and helps get... Kurt Enning over as the man that got rid of Flair when also taking his uh, his sort of like worth out of the company. It was it was a really good match. And also, it was a lot different because it felt very WCW, very wrestling as opposed to anything else we'd seen on the night from Rora as well. I agree. So that wraps it up. WWF with a bit of a landslide. But I guess that the real thing coming out of these two shows is and we've talked about this with a few weeks from our last recording with each had real life stuff going on but i'm excited for the next show i'm actually thinking i may even tonight go and watch the next episode of raw because i'm really enjoying this no this isn't a chore i mean if anybody's disappointed of the lack of ranting and swearing is because this is actually enjoyable wrestling i was thinking about this uh 
while I was preparing for the podcast. And people are trying. I think the thing that irritated me the most when we watched older wrestling for the other run was that there's people like Wahoo McDaniels just not giving any effort. Whereas I'm watching these two shows that actually feel like people want to wrestle, want to be there, but also are trying. They might not be the greatest at doing it, but there's there's effort. Absolutely. I agree completely, mate. I think this has been really, really good. I'm going to go and get stuck in and watch these other two shows so we can catch up a little bit quicker this time, hopefully, life permitting. But yeah, a really fun ride for me so far. And I'm enjoying, you know, I I think I gave you enough stick for some of the, the shows we've watched previously when we looked at the 80s. But this little run of early Raw is a, an absolute winner in my book. So long may it continue. And I think that uh, WCW is uh, at least surprisingly not rubbish. Not rubbish. There's enough names I like in WCW right now to make this worth my while. Between the Hollywood Blondes and Vader, uh, Ron Simmons, Sting, there's enough guys there to keep me interested. Flair coming back. Probably probably some form of horsemen. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But no, that'll do it for today. Um, really, really enjoyed this one. As always, you can check us out on Twitter and discuss anything you want to discuss. Leave a review if you can. Let me know if you do. We, we've not had a review in a little while. Otherwise, get in touch with any feedback or comments, and we'll talk to you all again very soon. All right. Toodaloo all. The end is here. The game is over. No more pretending.